Hey, Jacob's Well Online, Pastor Grant here. Welcome to another week of our Wilderness and Wandering series, following the people of Israel through the wilderness after the exodus from Egypt. This week is all about what happens when the presence of God shows up in our midst. It changes our lives. It changes everything. Let's get started. Hey, you guys. You braved the snow and rain, sleet stuff to be here. I've been making pastor jokes all morning with people showing up saying, well, we know now who loves Jesus the most. And you know what's awesome, though, is that so many people can be at home and, and stay safe and watch our service from last night online, including the worship part of it, which we're able to put up online now. So I just love that people all over the valley, the people who would normally be in these seats still get a chance to participate in what God's doing here this weekend. It's awesome. And I'm excited for where we are. I'm just thinking back on where we've been in our series so far, starting with the idea for a few weeks of wilderness, having that sense of being without a place, in the middle of nowhere, without an identity, unsettled and afraid, and how the children of Israel wandered in search of an identity. They've been rescued by God, saved by God, and then spent so many years wandering and they were mistake prone just like us disobedience prone just like us and yet they still came back to center in again and again on the person of God Yahweh as Joshua shared with us a couple weeks ago in his message when he was up here and then last week we saw how in spite of their disobedience God's promise still stood for them and he continued to invite them into it even though they were afraid and they lied about what they saw in the promised land and they didn't respond with obedience. Still, God called out to them. Still, God came close to them again and again. Still, they had opportunities to say yes, to obey. Not that they were great at it. They never seemed to be great at it. But God loved them and called them anyway because they were his people, his children. In the middle of their wandering, and we're going to put up a map so just you can have some reference for where they were. In the middle of their wandering, starting way up here with this red line in Egypt, down to where we'll spend some time today in the wilderness of Sin. That's a fitting name, I think. In the Sinai Peninsula. And then as we saw last week, they went up into the land of Canaan, which is where the promised land is. But they were afraid. They saw giants in the land. They were afraid of military conquest. They were afraid of the people who were already residing in the land. And so they disobeyed. They ended up wandering for more years. But in the middle of golden calf on one side and fear and lies of their enemies on the other side, in the middle of the people of Israel just wandering around in the wilderness, God shows up. Have you ever experienced that? Feeling like you are isolated and confused, wandering around life, looking for an identity, feeling hopeless, feeling very far from God, very afraid. I've been there. I think every human being has been there. And when we feel that way, just wandering, mistake prone, disobedience prone, we don't really expect God to show up, do we? Because we don't see his presence. We feel far from his presence. It's far easier to look at the endless desert and all the evidence that points to God's absence rather than being able to center in on God's presence. But that's also that place where we feel far away from God where he often comes in even closer 
then. Not punishing us for feeling far away or for wandering, but coming closer to us, coming closer to his people, bridging that gap to communicate something very significant. We'll see him do that for the Israelites, starting in Exodus 25. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. Now this is a command to Moses, but it's not a heavy-handed command to the people. The command was for Moses to bring an invitation into God's work to the people. That they should respond not out of obligation. It wasn't a command saying, everybody give or else. It was, let them give from hearts that are free. From hearts responding to God by saying yes. He continues in verse 8. Then have them make a sanctuary for me. And I will dwell among them. Which hadn't happened yet in their history. They hadn't known a permanent presence of God. God says, make this tabernacle. And all its furnishings, exactly like the pattern, I will show you. Attention to detail and obedience is very important here, which we'll see in a little bit. But God says, make a place for my presence. Make a place, a sanctuary, a tabernacle, and I will dwell among my people. He doesn't say, I'm going to show up just on Sundays if enough people show up. He says, I will dwell among my people. It's a promise. And he says, follow my specifications. This is very important. In a building project... We could all know, it's common sense, that it's important to consult the architect, the designer, to consult the master builder, in this case, creator God. In our day, many people, including myself, we often find this section of scripture between Exodus 25 and Exodus 40 to be highly repetitious, especially since God's meticulous directions are narrated in great detail when it comes to the tabernacle. In fact, even repeated in different places. And the reason this level of detail is so important is that it highlights the importance of the tabernacle as God's dwelling place among his people. For that generation of wilderness wanderers, there would have been nothing more significant than God saying, I want to be with you all the time. I want you to be able to see me and hear me and know that I'm there all the time. So each detail of the place where his presence would dwell is described and dwelt on because the tabernacle was the primary symbol for them of God's presence with them. Exodus 29 verses 42 through 49 picks up and God says there, in that place, I will meet you and speak to you. There also I will meet with the Israelites and the place will be consecrated by my glory. This is what the place was all about. God intended to meet with his people. Until this point, the people didn't have this kind of access to God. Not all the time. People could come before the Lord. People could pray to the Lord. But if they really wanted to experience the presence of God, they had to go to a specially designated location, usually where an altar had been erected. And now, instead of having to travel far away, go to a specific location that's not where you are, God invites the people to build a tabernacle so they could approach him and worship regularly, no matter where they were. This was a mobile tent something that they could pick up and move to wherever they were supposed to go to next and set it right back down, put it back up, and still see and know that God was with them at all times. 
Verse 44, so I will consecrate the tent of meeting. And then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. God says he will consecrate. That's a word that shows up a lot in these chapters. And consecrate means to dedicate something or someone to a specific and sacred purpose for a specific time. The tent of meeting used to be this place where God would meet with Moses, with just key leaders from the nation of Israel. And it was on the outskirts of the Israelite camp. And so there still wasn't this highly visible central place where God dwelled. And it hadn't yet functioned for all the people as a visible sign that God was with them or wanted to communicate with them. And we'll see more about this next week. Pastor Paul's going to bring a, a more detailed exploration of the priesthood, of the Levites, the tribe of Levi, who were called to be those people who would go into the tabernacle, into the most holy place as representatives of the people. God's presence, though, was never ultimately about just Moses. It was never about just those in leadership. It was never even just about the high-profile priests. But progressively throughout Scripture, throughout the history of the world, God has revealed this truth over time. And we see an early example right here in the building of the tabernacle. And it's this. God wants to be with his people in a sacred place. God wants to be with his people. He communicated that loud and clear. He always has. The story of the Bible from start to finish is not of a God who's removed and wants to stay removed, but a God who desires closeness and more closeness over time with his people, who wants to have relationship with and communicate with those who love him and follow him, who wants to be a protective, permanent, shepherding presence for his people. And if that's true of the nation of Israel, then I know it's true for us today. God wants to be with his people. God wants to be with you. God wants to communicate his plan to you. He wants to meet with you. He wants to guide you. So if you've ever wondered, does God really want to be with me? The answer is yes. And the tabernacle is an early sign that this is what God had in mind for his people. And it's a sign that even when we're in the middle of wandering, lost, hopeless, God is still working to come closer to us. Jumping forward a few chapters to Exodus 35, here's where we pick up. Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. And this is God putting together an amazing team of craftspeople, of builders, laborers, people just who would show up to learn and do the work in the moment. We see this principle of God choosing specific people for specific tasks, to lead and teach. People with specific skill sets, unique gifts and talents, specialized. And Bezalel was a master metal worker, a smith who could creatively, skillfully execute on God's vision for the tabernacle, with precious metals, with all kinds of structures and furnishings. And I bet before this call to build the tabernacle came, there were days that Bezalel wondered what he was doing with this camp of Israelites, with all the skill and knowledge and wisdom he had, 
I bet he wondered what he was supposed to do with those. Out there wandering around, maybe he even thought he would be part of that generation that would die in the wilderness, that would never know the fulfillment of the promise. Maybe he thought he'd never again have a permanent place to set up his forge, never have a chance to really do what he was capable of. And then the call came, and for that time and for that purpose, God chose Bezalel. And just like God always has, we see him inviting his people into his plan. The verse continues, he has given both him, that is Bezalel, and Oholiab. You guys didn't know this, but that's my middle name. No, it's really not. Um, Son of Ahissamach of the tribe of Dan. Oh, thank you, Dan. There's a normal name for us, you guys. But he gave Bezalel and the O-named guy the ability to teach others. It wasn't just about those guys with the special talent showing up to do the work. It was about gathering people together in numbers as a team to teach them how to follow God's instructions, to pull off this amazing work far bigger than any one person could accomplish. It's never about just those in charge or those doing the teaching and leading. Obedient responses are necessary, but it doesn't stop there. When one obedient response is added to another, to another, to another, the results grow exponentially more powerful. Because the people of God have gathered together as one, bringing all the fullness of who they are and what they can do together for God's purposes. God's people are called to do great work with great skill as part of a greater work. So people of God, do great work. Like Pastor Paul has said a few times, don't be the Christian person who annoys everybody at work because your work ethic is so poor and your results are so lackluster, but you love to preach at people about how superior you are spiritually or about politics and morals all the time. Don't do that. You are totally undermining your own example and influence. Instead, do great work. Respond to what God's called you to do and what you're doing in life by doing it your very best. That's what reflects a free heart that is responding to God's invitation through obedience. In everything you do, in response to God's call on your life, to the specific purposes God may invite you or may already have invited you into, don't give less than your best. What God's given to you, know that you're called to live it out in obedience and that it's about so much more than just saying yes. It's about what comes after you say yes. Sometimes we just like to cheer like, yeah, we said yes to God, but we make no move whatsoever. We don't actually follow through and do the thing that leads to his plan coming to fruition in real time. Do great work, not just because it's more personally fulfilling, although it is, More importantly, but because it's part of a greater work of God going on all around you. Now here's an image that shows what the completed tabernacle looked like. Okay, a little bit. It's a computer graphic, so it doesn't quite do it justice. But you see the design of it, how there's an entrance at the front of the courtyard. There's an outer area where there are altars put up for sacrifices where people could meet with the priests and and make their sacrifices. And then there's the tabernacle itself, surrounded by the courtyard. And this is like layers upon layers of beautiful dyed fabrics and animal skin and animal fur and gold and all kinds of furnishings. And it's designed 
to progressively increase the presence of God, the glory of God, the deeper into the structure you go. From out here all the way back, every part of the tabernacle is designed to reflect the increasing glory of God. Even the quality of building materials used, the farther back into the structure you go, the more precious everything becomes. The metals, the woods, the furnishings, all of which you can read about in great detail in Exodus. I encourage you to do that because it symbolically represents the care and attention to detail of a God who is holy, who chooses willingly, lovingly to dwell in the middle of his people. Now, while the tabernacle was in sight of all the people, and I'll show you that image in just a minute, only the Levites, that tribe of priests, were permitted to approach the area that was immediately surrounding. Crossing from the courtyard to the holy place, which was the first level inside the tabernacle, and then finally to the most holy place, the farthest back you could go, one drew closer to the presence of God, and the ground became progressively more holy. So there had to be restrictions on who could go in and when. It didn't mean God and God's presence wasn't there. It just meant it wasn't yet the complete fulfillment of God's design that we see through Jesus Christ yet. The most holy place at the very back of the tabernacle where only specific priests were allowed to go and rarely with specific instructions, it contained the Ark of the Covenant And it contained the menorah. Those were the Israelites' most potent symbols of the presence of God. God's favor on them. God's choosing them as his people. And I realize we're jumping all over the place and jumping ahead several chapters. But please do read through Exodus 25 through 40. Witness the care and attention to detail of God. Once the tabernacle was completed, here's what God did. He showed up just like he said he would in Exodus 40. Verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not even enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and it was too full for even a person to go into. And that tent of meeting, you remember that? That had been on the outskirts of the encampment was now inside the tabernacle and all the people could see God's glory fill that place What an overwhelming display. What an amazing truth. Everyone could see it. And here's why. This is how God instructed them to put up the tabernacle. Right in the middle of the Israelite camp. You can see right down here how the tabernacle's in the middle. Then the names of the different tribes are around it. And there was a specific arrangement. And the Levites were the closest to the tabernacle when they would set up camp. But you see how it, from every direction... The people of God can look to the center where God said, this is where I dwell. And no matter what was going on that day or in their lives or in their wanderings, they now had a reference point permanently with them to see that God was there. And chapter 40 continues with verse 36. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. They could all see it. They all knew what it was doing. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in that cloud by night in sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. So God's presence became a visible, tangible experience for the nation of Israel. They could see it. They could be guided by it. 
could respond to it. Which meant at all times they had a sign that God was with them. That they weren't alone. Weren't just wandering aimlessly anymore. No matter what it felt like, the truth is they were led by God and God was with them. And this is the principle we see at work here. God's real-time presence guides his people on their journey. It's no different today. The tabernacle was a beautiful, powerful Old Testament example foreshadowing Jesus. We can see how God in real time through that cloud, through his presence and glory, guided his people, told them where to stay, when to move, where to go, where to stop, and for how long, so they would know they're not left on their own to figure it out. But God's real-time presence guides his people on their journey. So when God seems absent, is God absent? Well, when God seems absent, where do we look to see if God is there? Often I look, maybe you're like me, to the fringes of wherever I've set up camp. Or I look to the sky. It's like trying to get my daughter to look at the lens of a camera when we're taking a picture. It's like she'll look everywhere but... Okay, and it takes an hour, and it should take two seconds. God, we do that with God. We, we feel like God's far away, like we're wandering, like we're lost. And pretty soon, God's like, hey, I'm right here, right in the middle. And we're like, huh, what? Like looking all around. We can't focus, but God is there. When it feels like God is far away, try looking to the center, to the place where God has promised to be, and remember he's with you. Now, the tabernacle wasn't the fulfillment of every part of God's plan to be with his people. It wasn't the completion. There's a greater work that this is part of. The tabernacle is awesome. It's exactly what the people of Israel needed at that time. But it was temporary. It pointed forward. It anticipated Jesus, who became flesh, who became God with us who dwelt among us. Some commentators say Jesus tabernacled with us as a a paraphrase of this. So we get that Jesus became the place of God's presence for us. And he changed everything, bringing God even closer to his people. Here's what the New Testament says in the book of Hebrews chapter 9. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not a physical one, that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, it wasn't about an animal sacrifice, but he entered the most holy place, the most special place, where the presence of God was the most holy. He entered once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption where before it was temporary redemption. Jesus completed the plan. The plan of God that started with these instructions to build a dwelling place, a tabernacle for the presence of God was completed by Jesus. The place that had been the sign of God's love, his presence with his people became a person. Place became person. The son of God So that no longer would God's people be bound to a system of temporary redemption, but they would find eternal redemption through Jesus' once-for-all sacrifice on the cross. That changes things in some extraordinary ways. It changes the people of God, in fact. 
1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. So now, because of Jesus and what Jesus has done, instead of needing a tent, needing a a tabernacle, a most holy place with restrictions on it, or a priest to represent us, or meet with God on our behalf, we are the tabernacles. We follow the example of Jesus. We now are movable, mobile dwelling places for God. Our bodies are the places where the person of God dwells now. This passage in 1 Corinthians is all about our physical, bodily response to the way of life God has designed And that our physical lives, what we do with our bodies, that's intended to reflect the same holiness and glory of God that the Israelites needed to see and experience in real time in the middle of their camp. So, wherever you're camped right now, who is camped around you? Kind of like where the tabernacle was in the middle of the people. You're in the middle of some relationships in your family, at work, your friendships, at school, wherever you might be, there are people who revolve kind of around you in their lives on a regular basis. And when they look for the presence of God, and they look at you as a tabernacle in their midst, can they see that you contain the presence of God? Can they see that the most holy most precious God dwells in you. I guarantee they're looking for it. I guarantee people are longing for it, whether they know it or not, especially if they feel like they're wandering. And whatever God might be, they aren't sure, but they just know it's far away. Can they see that God is real and that God is alive when they look at you? If it's true that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, that means the presence of God dwells in us. And that Spirit of God, the same one that filled Bezalel and gave him an ability to teach, gave him wisdom, and that means that it's the same for us. God calls us to pay attention to detail. God calls us to live with wisdom. He calls us to team up to come together, to teach each other, to learn from each other. And that it's more important than ever because we now are still part of this greater work that God is doing. We who are the people of God participate in his work. Jesus spells it out for us in Matthew 28, a very familiar couple of verses that we know as the Great Commission. He tells his followers, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you, always, to the very end of the age. The same promise that God made, I will dwell among my people, Jesus makes here. I am with you always to the very end of the age. And not just in a physical place, but within 
you. So Jesus says to his followers, as you go, as you do, as you obey together, you're not alone. I will guide you. My spirit will teach you. And now we are living, breathing, walking tabernacles full of the spirit of God called to a great work. To respond and say yes, to show the world, everyone who's camped around us, that God's glory is present in real life. And then to give them an example of what that does inside a person, on the outside of a person, in an entire life of a person, in the entire world. And we don't need to lug around tents anymore or just take the word of priests anymore because we are the precious materials that Jesus is using to build his church. Our hearts are the sacred places where the glory of God lives. We are the precious materials. Our hearts are the sacred places. We're precious to God. We are part of the body of Christ. And we don't need these external places, specific locations, visible signs of God's presence, because everywhere we go, even when we wander, God is close, and our hearts contain all that love, all that power, all that glory of God. How amazing is that? That God calls us righteous, calls us child, invites us into his work. And when we do that work in numbers, two or more, 2,000 or more, we become, to everyone around, a sign that God is real. We've seen an awesome example of what it looks like for people to come together to do a greater work than anyone could do on their own. In fact, we're worshiping in a visible sign of that kind of truth right now. Our Live It Well initiative has changed things over the last couple years, but it started with God communicating his heart to make a place where people could gather and experience his presence. And something like this, this big project... Just like the tabernacle back in all those years ago is only possible if people come together in numbers to do the greater work. And yet what we see in the building that we're standing and sitting in and worshiping in on the outside isn't the most important part. We've got a story that I want to share with you on a video of a family that's been coming here for a number of years who's seen a lot of different changes at Jacob's Well over time and who felt their perspective and hearts change when they thought about the greater work that we are called to as a people of God through the Live It Well initiative. Take a look. Hi, I'm Erin Vandertop, and this is my husband, Ryan, and we've been coming to Jacob's Well since 2005, back in the middle school bleacher days. We're both transplants. Like, we, neither of us grew up here or actually have family living here. So Jacob's Well really has become our family. Mm-hmm. And we love it. What does Live It Well mean to me? Um, in a word, stewardship. Using God's uh, gifts and talents and giving back to him what's his and seeing how he can use it for his kingdom. 
On a regular basis, we serve um, once a month in the Wobblers down with the little kiddos, so it gives us a taste of what we used to have. <laughs> but we, I also helped with like the very first week of building and um, got to experience learning how to use a nail gun, how to actually frame, um, do things that I normally would never have done before. We've always been pretty faithful tithers, um, so that really hasn't changed, but probably what it brought is a new perspective and a new um, recognition of the faithfulness um, and how important it is um, and how God can use it, uh, both finances and talents. It kind of changes our heart a little bit and the perspective that way. It's more of a recognizing God's heart behind what he asks of us and that it's not just us doing it because we should do it or that's what he, he's commanded us to do, but because we see that his heart um, for us is coming from a place of love and that draws us into knowing that, that he's going to bring good things out of that for us. It's been important in our spiritual journey just the perspective um, of seeing how God's commandment and following it um, changes our hearts and recognizing His faithfulness through the times that we have been given and how He uses it for the good of His kingdom. There is blessing in stepping out. That when you step out in courage, do something that you might have been afraid to do. That um, God shows you His grace and His, um, His blessing in community which was really cool. Well, my encouragement would be to take that leap. Um, God's going to use it for amazing things, and you'll be so surprised at what He can do with no matter what you give. You know, growing up in the church, tithing and serving always seemed like it was kind of a commandment almost. Um, and it is that He does ask that of us. But um, I see it also as an invitation to participate. And it's a great opportunity for um, you to be able to use the small things, the small offerings that we have, both our time and our finances and our talents especially, um, that God can then take those and when he puts them together with his church, he can do amazing things that we never would be able to do on our own. I love that it's about the heart behind it. You know, this message, looking back in Exodus 25, started with God inviting his people into his work and inviting them to respond freely, not out of obligation. You can hear it in Aaron and Ryan's words as they share about their experience that they said yes to God. They've been in the mode of saying yes to God before, but this became about faithfully saying yes to God, participating in the greater work. And it was financial commitment, but it was also nail gun in hand. And I promise you, uh, Aaron was not Bezalel with a nail gun when she started. Somebody who was great with a nail gun showed her that. And, and that's what we saw throughout the project. People just showing up and skilled people teaching people who didn't know how to do certain things, how to do it, and then working together to accomplish a great work. It was beautiful. What an example of the people of God accomplishing God's work. But even that... Accomplishing the work, finishing the task is just one small part of what God is doing all around us. We are a worshiping people. We are people who love to be able to freely respond to God in obedience. And as we move into next steps for you guys, one of the most 
significant steps of obedience you can take is to become baptized. And that is where you symbolically represent on the outside that you've become a living tabernacle on the inside. And you want everyone to be able to see that you now are a visible sign of the presence of God in real life. So when Jesus says, go, make disciples, baptize, teach, obey together, that just makes me want to say to you, sign up for baptism class, because we love to baptize. And on Easter, when we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus and the power that has to transform us from the inside out, oh, we love to symbolically demonstrate that through baptism. So if you're somebody where you've been thinking about getting baptized, or you know it's time, Or maybe today is the first time you've thought about it and you're just starting to get that sense of it's time for me to to show this, to display this to the world. Then sign up for baptism class. We've got it coming up on Tuesday, April 9th. We've got classes for adults. We've got another class for families with kids who want to be baptized. So join us for that. We also have Formation 101. The next session of that is starting in April on the 2nd. And I want you to know that if you feel like you're wandering and it's really confusing and it's hard to figure out what life following God looks like, Formation 101 is all about how our faith is formed as we say yes to God. It's about looking deeper into scripture, how to study the word. It's about how you are gifted by the spirit of God, just like we saw in the example of Bezalel to to accomplish things, things you're uniquely wired for. It's just an amazing experience. And Jenna Kaiser, who's our formation director here and does an amazing job, and her husband, Sean, they'll walk you through some foundational principles of how to be guided into living a biblical foundation in your life. It's an awesome place to start or even continue the journey that you're on. And finally, as you've seen on the video of Aaron and Ryan and in the announcements today, our Live It Well initiative, which has been so significant in the life of our church over the last couple of years, is coming to a close You heard them describe what that journey has meant to them. I know many of you have been so encouraged and changed by being on this journey with us. And as we symbolically close this chapter of Live It Well by taking a final offering that first weekend in April, I encourage you to look back at what God has done in your story over the last couple of years if you've been a part of this. Revisit that initial commitment you made Think back on what it's meant to you to see God's hand guiding us, to see in real time things change because of God's plan. And then consider what might it look like that particular weekend to continue to respond freely, with free hearts, that love what God has done, and to respond by saying yes to his continued invitation to be part of his work. Whatever the case, let this be a time in your life way beyond the temporary, way beyond initiatives and projects here at the church. But let this be a time in general for you where you recenter yourself on God's presence in your life and how it changes things. Pay attention to detail. My guess is that there are some things that have been overlooked maybe, some places where you've cut corners. Pay attention to detail and follow God's instructions. They're not there to be heavy-handed, they're there to make a way for you to experience the presence of God. Freely give your best. Embrace your part in his work. And just see if by looking back to the center, 
where you know God is, where God has promised to be, if your sense of wandering begins to shift, to be overtaken by the deep and abiding truth, and it's always been true, of God's presence with you, always. He's with us. He's faithful. And I get excited when I think about the fact that God's not done, not finished. And even as we end Live It Well, it's simply a new beginning to what comes next and how we continue to follow through on the plan God has put in motion. It's a beautiful thing. Let's pray. God, we respond to you with hearts that say yes to your work. We respond to you with gratitude. We are so thankful that you want to be with your people. We are so thankful that you give us signs of your presence all around us. We thank you that we on the inside can know that you dwell in a most holy place, hearts that have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. I thank you that we are given the spirit of God, that we are given wisdom and understanding, that we are given this mandate to teach, to join together, to team up, to accomplish so much more than any one of us could do on our own. And I thank you that you are not finished, that everything you've accomplished, and even this amazing tool that we worship in is not the point. The point and the plan go far beyond the completion of any project And we just want to be part of that flow, how you continue to unfold your plan for the people you love, for the world you love, God. And I pray that you would teach us to be faithful as we respond, as we follow through on saying yes in obedience, with free hearts, together as one. In Jesus' name, amen.